one of the things uh, that we're talking about this morning is that we are in Romans chapter 10, 18 through 21. Uh, it wouldn't matter if you're here, uh, missed the last two months, we're still in the same book that we were in the last two years. So uh, you may not have missed anything, and we appreciate those of you that have uh, jumped online and watched the live stream. We will continue to do that. Uh, as I was thinking about it this week, uh, I expected... Uh, Everyone coming in wearing masks, the only thing I could see is your ears. What we're talking about this morning is what about those who don't hear? It's kind of the age-old question of who, what happens to people who do not hear the gospel? Uh, and Paul's going to write from the per- perspective of Israel because that's the question that he comes up with. I was reading an article that I found kind of interesting this week, and it tells us that people's ears can indicate their personality, uh, it, it, we were told, as I read through it, if we, um, there's certain psychologists who are experts in people's ears, not just what goes on inside, but the outside. And here are some of the things they said. Uh, if you take large ears, for example, when they are rounded, they show a strong nature that is concerned about truth and ideals and also ambitions. If the ears are excessively large, and you do whatever you want in checking out your neighbor's ears if you want. I don't know if that's a good thing to do or not. If the ears are excessively large and fleshy, they point to a proud and pretentious nature. So keep it to yourself, whatever you're trying to translate there. Small ears belong to careful and prudent people who have the gift of willpower and perseverance. They also are evidence of a constant uh, wakeful intelligence. If you have oval ears, uh, when, and they're well-formed, they show wisdom. A person with oval ears loves to study and has a desire for perfection. Ears with cauliflower shapes uh, and not well-formed are hallmark of f- frustrated, vulgar people without ideas and without charm. Unless you're a wrestler, and that's, that's the exception to it. You have to be careful with these things. I don't know if ears really do tell about personality, but they are related to the text, and that is, what about those who don't hear? And we're going to see a theme through here that I hope challenges you and challenges us in terms of the nature of responsibility in sharing the gospel. The text we're in is Romans 10, and we're going to walk through these verses and then really just kind of highlight some of the key things that I think are important to what Paul's argument is. He says this, but I ask, have they, being Israel, have they not heard? Because there's this condemnation, as it were, that God is now moving to the Gentiles as sort of his focal point, his people group that's going to carry out his kingdom work intentionally. That somehow the Israel has sort of, as it was, abandoned that because of their behavior and rebellion with God, and now God is moving to encompass the Gentiles as his people group. And it says, but have they, the Israel, not heard? Indeed they have, for, and he quotes Psalm 19:4. their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say this, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So as we've moved through this, the scriptures have told us that 
that the message, the good news that God has communicated is not hard. It's not difficult. You don't have to go into heaven. You don't have to go into the abyss. You don't have to work to find this. God has gone out of his way to communicate to his people the things that they need to know. So it raises the question, surely has Israel really heard? Have they been given the right opportunity for, to hear the message of God and what he expects of them? The second one is, well, haven't they really known about this? Is there a gap? Is there a communication problem? What has happened that puts Israel in this kind of a problem? And, and so the first thing that he comes back, he says, listen, one of the things we have to know, in spite of the fact that it looks like it disadvantages Israel, is that God has communicated with his people. Uh, I think I've mentioned it before. There's no, I have no delusions that you would remember this, but in my first pastorate, I was in a little rural community called Lesseville, Alberta. The, the town literally had three streets, a gas station, a corner store, and that was it. They had a tiny little newspaper, and we were the only church in town. And uh, I was there for three and a half years before I moved down to Portland, Oregon for further training. But I remember during that stay, uh, rural churches are really different than urban churches. It's, it's just, they're very different. And I remember one old gentleman one time, I had a, a, series, a message where I had several people sharing their testimonies and they got up and like a lot of people, they just went longer than they should have. And so by the time they had finished, rather than giving me about 25 minutes, I had literally had about six minutes left in the morning to preach. So I, call, I made a decision that I wasn't going to preach. I summarized a couple of things that I wanted people to know, and then I closed in prayer. When I got to the back of the auditorium, one of the older gentlemen and his wife walked by, and he came by me and he says, good message this morning, Pastor. And I kind of looked at him and went, uh, thanks. And his wife gave him an elbow and he goes, and she goes, he didn't even preach. What are you saying? And there's a person, and the thing that's humorous about that, of course, is that you always get this from people. Wow, that was a nice sermon. That was a nice sermon. And yet the challenge is, is there, that's an extreme illustration of a person who heard everything but wasn't listening. He, he heard all the things that were said and done, but he obviously wasn't paying attention because he couldn't even remember that I didn't preach the message. Well, there's a lot of people who do that that don't even dare say that. They'll walk out of a, mess, out of a, out of a Sunday morning and they'll immediately forget everything that's going on. You know the struggle it is to remember things. And at the core of what's going on in this text... Paul is going to protect God's credibility by saying, listen, the problem here is not that Israel has not heard, that they've been left out, that there's a, a communication problem. And he does it in several ways here, and I want to bring you to this text where it begins by saying, first, God has comprehensively communicated with his people. He does something a little odd here. He quotes Psalm 19. Now, if you're familiar with Psalm 19, you will know that it's a psalm that talks about creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. And it's basically a, a psalm that says, if you want to understand the presence of an eternal personal God, all you have to do is look at all that God has created, from the trees to the animals to the rivers to the mountains and valleys. Everything has God's fingerprints on it. And there's a little bit of a controversy why Paul would quote this. I think there's a reason for it, but it's a little strange because if God has specifically communicated to his people, why would you quote a passage that relates to natural creation? 
because that is, indicates there's a God, but it doesn't communicate specifically what he has said. And, and through all the debate, I believe what he, basically Paul is saying, and he starts this off by saying, listen, if you look at creation and see the fingerprints of God on everything that's out there, God has made his presence known everywhere, from the stars in the sky to the planets to our physical existence, Everything, because God created everything, has his fingerprints on it. And Paul, what he is saying is that, listen, someone can ask the question, has, has, does really, Israel really heard? Have they really been given a fair chance to hear the message from God? And Paul's statement is, as vastly that God has comprehensively communicated his presence in all of creation, you need to know that God has just been as comprehensive and as thorough in communicating to his people Israel. There is no excuse for Israel to come off and say, hey, I don't know, I haven't heard. This doesn't make sense to me. Now, you might find individuals who would say that, but the point is, if you go back to Romans 9, they have been given the privilege, being called by God to be his covenant people. They've been given the covenants and the promises. Messiah is a descendant from them. From birth, these people ought to be saturated in the revelation of God all the way back from Abraham to the point, even when he's going to quote here, he's going to quote Moses, when they actually were formed as a nation by God, God has saturated their presence with his will and his revelation. And so the point here basically is they've got no excuse. There is no reason why Israel. Now, you might say if you follow biblical history, the great failing of Israel based on Deuteronomy 6 is that parents were supposed to communicate the presence and the power and the relationship with God to their kids. And then as they grow up and they have kids, they were responsible to pass it on to their kids. And if there's a failure that they're gonna to have to deal with, it's not that God hasn't communicated it, but the parents haven't passed on their faith to their children and their grandchildren. And, and so it raises a, a real issue as to whether they've really heard. So the second thing he says is that God has consistently communicated with his people. He's not only done a thorough job and it's vast and it's deep and wide in terms of what God has revealed to his people, but he has done it consistently. Hebrews chapter one tells us very clearly that long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son and he's appointed who he appointed heir over all things through whom also he created the world. And so Paul is pushing back on this, well, wait a minute, what, if, what happens if they haven't heard? wonder if they haven't got all the right information. wonder if there's been some misunderstanding here. And Paul comes back and says, listen, as creation displays the fingerprints of God, God has comprehensively and consistently communicated to his people. The third thing that is true in this is not only that God has compre communicated comprehensively and consistently, but he's done it clearly. If you back up in chapter 10, you'll notice this statement starting in verse six, but the righteousness based on faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is and to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. That is a quote that goes back into the Old Testament where God, he quotes out of Deuteronomy 30, 
And, this, and the, the, the sentiment is exactly the same. So if you're not sure what it means to take, bring Christ down and bring Christ up, that sounds a little weird. But if you go back to Deuteronomy 30, it says this, for this commandment that I'm commanding you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea, so the imagery changes slightly, that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it back to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Now, Paul twists it a little bit by saying, referring to the gospel, to the person of Christ. And he's saying not only to the Roman readers, in the same way that God made it easy for Israel, because he's so thoroughly communicated to it, this does not work at all. If they were really listening to God, it was right in front of them. It was in their heart and mind. They grew up with this. It saturated their life from the time that they were born as they grew up and went through all the sacrifices and the rituals. Everything was to point them to God. And you know what happened? Well, there's a lot of things that happened. Let me put it in our language, our lingo. A lot of them got bored with it. Oh, I know that. Oh, yeah, okay, I got that. Why don't we, can't we go deeper into God's word? I only, already know all this stuff. You know, oh, well, we gotta go back and do another sacrifice. Oh, great. Well, we've done that a thousand times. Why, why do we have to keep doing that? And the danger for Israel is the same danger that we face, although this morning, I think we've had a deeply renewed sense of how critical the fellowship of the body of Christ is because we haven't had it for so long. Problem is, in a couple of weeks, we go, oh, okay, well, do you want to go to church? I don't know. It's way easier to stay home and listen to it on live stream. Why don't we do that? I just got to remember to say that in the next message. That's what I have to remember. But isn't that the truth? It's so easy for us, like it, I believe Israel did, is to take so much of the privilege of having relationship with God that it's easy to become indifferent. It's so easy to become bored. It's like, I want my life to be more exciting. So the problem with Israel is they started ignoring God and chasing the, the, the different kinds of interesting cultures that were around them. And they cultivated idols, as we'll see in a minute. God had communicated them comprehensively and consistently and clearly. And not only had he revealed to them the kind of relationship he wanted, but God also has, had cautioned his people. It wasn't that God blindsided them with the consequences, like, and they're going like, wait a minute, if you just told us this, then we would, have, we would have paid way more attention to it. That's kind of our style, right? You know, parents who threaten and threaten to discipline their kids and never do it, and then all of a sudden somebody decides to suck it up and actually implement the discipline, and then the kids are going like, <gasps> what? Well, we don't deserve, this is unfair, right? Oh, you've never been through that? Okay, well, whatever. It, it's, but, but that's the, the same problem with Israel. But God didn't hide the consequences. He made it very clear. If you go to, through Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30, he outlines blessings and cursings. He tells them exactly what the consequences are gonna be. He tells them exactly what the opportunity is if they pursue a deep, abiding relationship with God and are willing to embrace his holiness and embrace his righteousness and surrender to that. God says, the possibilities are endless. But they got bored with God. And, and so they were warned constantly. 
And as you begin to discover in these texts, God gets tired of their idolatry and their rebellion. They, they just have this craving because, well, I'm bored with this. I need something fresh to get me energized. They can't be satisfied with drinking deeply in their relationship with God. And so they start chasing the things of the world. And so God cautioned his people, and it comes in the statement in verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses, and notice now, instead of Psalm 19, he goes back to Moses. He's the one, you might say, why didn't he go back to Abraham? Well, that's where the origins came, where God made the promises about giving him a nation and a people, but it technically wasn't formed until God delivered them out of Egypt and they became a nation with a sort of a constitution, a covenant relationship with God, and that's where it was formed is under Moses. So they became a defined entity, a nation, as it were, under God, and that's when their so-called existence came from. And the caution is this, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. One of the things that God often did is that in his blessings and cursings, he said, listen, I will judge you in the land. I will make things difficult. I'm going to make your crops fail. I'm going to have things, difficult circumstances, and got to remember this is old covenant framework, in order to provoke his people to, to get before God and repent and restore their relationship because they've taken them for granted. We don't need to bother with God. We don't need to gather anymore. We can do our own thing. We can do this self-directed life. Yeah, God's important, but you know we got things to do. And so God would judge them in the land and then he would create difficulties and eventually he would bring another nation whose language they wouldn't understand and he'd use them as an instrument to, to disassemble Israel and take them captive and they were exiled out of the land. And then at some point, God promised that through repentance, he would restore them back to the land, to his blessing, to his favor, and he would restore all that he had promised to do. There was uh, an article this week by W.H. Thompson wrote this, and I've never heard this before. He says, there is a form of deafness known to physicians in which the person affected is able to hear everything except words. Wouldn't that be convenient? There's a lot of things I could say about that one. It's like, that, that's probably the new diagnosis of our schools, right? It's like, in such cases, the ear as an apparatus for mere hearing may be so perfect that the tick of a watch or the song of a bird is still clearly heard and appreciated. But apparently, either because of uh, some kind of local injury deeper within the air, Uh, maybe possibly in the brain itself, all spoken words of a person's mother tongue are unintelligible to the sufferer uh, as as if they were listening to a foreign language. I've never heard that before. I thought it was interesting. If you give that person a book, they may read it and understand everything perfectly. But every word addressed to them through the ear reaches his consciousness only as a sound, not as a spoken, intelligible word or term. One of the things that we need to remember, and I think the irony of what Paul is talking about here, is that God often used nations who spoke a different language than Israel did as an instrument of discipline on his own people because they wouldn't listen to the absolute clear revelation of God that God spoke to them in their own language. It's kind of like 
They had this deafness that went on, not because of an injury, but because of their own personal choice to harden their heart to be listening to God. And so they, they created this spiritual deafness because it wasn't their brain that was a problem, it was their heart. They'd hear God's words, but it became unintelligible. It was just blah, blah, blah. It was just turned into be noise that they had to listen to, but it had no value to them anymore. And one of the, one of the most profound dangers we face with all the voices speaking to us in our culture right now, with all the things that we take time, the news items and the Instagrams and the highlights and the breaking news and all the voices that are speaking to us, is that it's very easy to listen to everybody except God. And the question that I want to ask you this morning is are you taking the time to listen to the God who saved you or are you spending more time trying to listen to the voices of our culture? And the danger is, is we can end up making ourselves spiritually deaf to God and absolutely more in tune to these noises that are going around us. And we he seem to hear those more perfectly than we hear the voice of the Spirit of God. And sometimes we can, we can discover it in our own life when we spend more time on our phone than more time on our knees. Sometimes we can spend more time watching the news on TV than time in God's word. And I want to plead with you that if there's any a time in our lifetime that, there, that God needs his people to be hearing his voice and listening to what he has to say, this is the time above any other time in our lives. And so I want to ask you the question. You're hearing a lot, but who are you listening to? You're hearing a lot, but who are you listening to? And if I say nothing else through the entire message, that's what I want you to, I, that's what I want you to contemplate. The problem with Israel is they heard God's voice, but they weren't listening. And the great danger for many of us is that we're hearing God's voice, but we're not listening to him. And we may have this spiritual deafness that we're hearing a lot of things in our culture with great clarity. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be listening. Don't misunderstand that. But never can the voices in our culture trump the voice of God. But I think we have a God that cares about the people that live in our culture. And he can help us interpret what that means based on what his voice is and what he's telling us. So we have to be, know that God was cautioning his people because he called them to be a holy people. Maybe God's speaking to you. <laughs> it's the flicker effect. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that one, but anyway. God called his people to be holy. He called them to be obedient and righteous. He called them to be faithful but God cautioned his people with the consequences that he, they knew were coming, and yet they still were willing to live with it. And finally, God cautioned his people with conditions. Notice this statement in verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. He reinforces the very thing he said at the beginning. God has gone 
overboard with trying to reach out and to communicate and to speak to his people and and call them to holiness and call them to righteousness and call them to obedience. And the legacy that Paul is saying at this point in time, the legacy of them is they're stubborn, they're obstinate, they they might be hearing me, but they're not listening at all. They're like disobedient children who won't pay any attention to their parents. And I, and I want to, I, I believe one of the reasons Paul quotes Psalm 19 is because all the way through here, you'll notice it looks like he's skipping back and forth. When we talked about this message not being too difficult, he, he translates the Old Testament idea about the command that God was giving to them is not too hard. And suddenly when he, tra- he uh, uses it, he talks about going up into heaven and bringing Christ down. He, he moves it into a New Testament context around the gospel. And so he's hard to figure out sometimes. He, he looks schizophrenic. He keeps jumping into Israel and back into the Gentiles and back and forth. But I think the reason he does this is because God is communicating now to us as his people and to a lost world. And one of the things that we have to realize is that God has communicated comprehensiveness to us as his people and to a lost world. I mean, we say, what about those in some foreign off country that never hear? Well, The fact that he quotes Psalm 19 is almost exactly what he did in Romans chapter 1. Do you remember what he did in Romans chapter 1? Let me just flip there for a second and and remind you of it. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men or humanity who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God's wrath is poised, not for no reason at all, but because of the the pervasive and toxic ungodliness and unrighteousness of humanity who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen and understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. So as he talks about Israel, he's basically saying, listen, Israel has no excuse why God's going to take a different direction here. The people can make up all the excuses. They could come up with a whole set of medical diagnoses saying I have spiritual ADH or whatever. And I'm not trying to demean medical diagnosis for people here, but it's, it's really convenient for us to have excuses why we hear God, but we're not listening. And so remind ourselves that God has done the same thing. Romans, Psalm 19 and Romans 1, 18 and 19 talk about natural revelation. That when you look at creation, when you look at the world, when we look at our bodies, God is evident everywhere. This intelligent creator, this being who's given us life. But you'll also remember in Romans 1, 16 and 17, God has given us special revelation with the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For it is written, my righteous ones shall live by faith. And so God has gone out of his way to communicate clearly through his son, and through his apostles and prophets, and through his church, the message of the gospel. 
But whether you talk about creation itself, that leaves all of humanity without excuse. God has communicated to a lost world. He has presence. He has done it in special revelation through his people, especially through the gospel, and they're without excuse. But God has done it consistently from the Old Testament through, the prophet, through Moses and the prophets Isaiah to his son coming to the church. God has been deeply, he's been so consistent about making sure that the world hears. Now, I always got these questions about, well, what about these, you know, isolated tribes in Africa or Philippines or middle of India that nobody hears? Well, remember, you have to remember, and this comes back to the current issues we're dealing with, I've told you many times I don't, I think the word racism is a misnomer because I believe we all come from one couple, Adam and Eve. When God dispersed the nations in Genesis 11 and scattered them, there was lots of people groups, the word nations is ethnos, ethnic groups, they scattered throughout the world, but they all have the same origins. They could all pass down the same stories that God gave to Adam and Eve. In fact, most nations, most ethnic groups have very similar creation stories, even if they're different. And the reason for it is because we all have the same origin. There is only one human race. And so if there's failure, it hasn't been God. It's been that people haven't passed on the genuine special revelation of God to their children and them to their children. So they start making up their own stories about what the purpose of life is. Now, I'll maybe say what's obvious, but if that doesn't place a huge challenge on us as parents, that listen, we can be masters at teaching our kids about culture. We can be masters at dietary forms and sleeping stuff and you know, schools they go to and education pieces and everything else. But we can't be hearing all those voices and listening to them and forget that one of the greatest privileges and responsibilities we have as parents is to pass on the reality of who Christ is in the gospel to our kids. Now, we can't make them choose things, but we, can, we have to be faithful in communicating the message of the true God. And so as we begin to work through these things, we become messengers in this process. But you know what the problem is? The problem is not that you or I, maybe our kids, maybe our next door neighbors haven't heard. The question is, are you listening? As you know, most of us you, who know me, my dad was not a Christian his whole life. We, they went to church, he was a moralist. He thought the Bible was basically an instruction manual for society, how to establish justice and righteousness. Had lots of discussions with dad, but uh, five days before he died, apparently a nurse walked into his room when he had, he had cirrhosis of the liver, there was no solution to it, and she said, are you prepared for, to die? Of course, there was no hope of anything else, and my dad finally, finally, apparently, trusted Christ. And what becomes important about that is that my dad had sat through uh, any number of Billy Graham crusades. My mom had discussions with him. I had discussions with him. But every time dad sat in front of a Billy Graham crusade, he heard everything, but he goes, oh, well, it's just a setup. You know, all they're doing is sending people from their organization down there first, and then that gets people going. So it's all, it's all staged. 
I said, well, congratulations, Adam. Glad that's the way you see it. I mean, what do you do? He heard everything, but he wasn't listening. And we know people, maybe starting with ourselves, who keep hearing God's word, but maybe it's possible that we're not listening. We blame it on people. We blame it. It's easy to blame it on our parents. It's our brothers and sisters, other family, whatever. It's easy to blame all kinds of things why my relationship with Christ isn't important, but really it comes down to the fact is I stand before God alone and either I'm hearing and listening to his voice or I may be hearing it and not listening at all. Harvard Business Review came out with a study where they interviewed some executives in the manufacturing uh, district in Chicago and they were asked uh, a survey about how important listening was in the workplace. Here's a couple of statements that they came up with. I've been thinking back about the things that have gone wrong over the past couple of years and I suddenly realized that many of the troubles have resulted from someone not hearing something or getting it distorted. The conclusion that they had in the study was this. It can be stated with practically no qualifications that people in general, people in general do not know how to listen. They have ears that hear very well but seldom have they acquired the necessary skills which allow those ears to be used effectively for what is called listening. Let me, uh, you'll notice that the very last verse says this. But if Israel, he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. A lay evangelist, Howard E. Butt Jr., uh, said this. uh, He was uh, speaking at the historic New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and he said this. Too many churchgoers tend to regard sermon listening as an end in itself, so much so that the sermon listening may actually be one of America's greatest sins. His statement was this, what God really wants is us to transform from just hearing things and listening to them into living them out. I've told people any number of times, I don't care if you remember the whole message, I want you to listen to the Spirit of God speaking to you about a particular truth that he wants to imprint upon your heart so that you will walk out of here having a discussion with the Spirit of God saying, God, how do you want me to change the way I live? How do you want me to act based on this truth? God doesn't need Facebook likes like, hey, cool, that's a neat idea, God, I like it. What he needs is people who not only hear his voice, but they'll listen and obey this truth. And one of the great dangers for us is the enemy isn't out there. The enemy is right here. Because we become our own worst enemy when we've learned to hear God's voice and then put him out of mind the moment that we leave the building. I don't know where you're at this morning as we begin to... This, continue this journey in this world that we live in, but I want to appeal to you. Everybody hears God's voice. Oftentimes, there's a very few that really listen and obey. Even James said it best, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers. Father, we bow before your presence. We ask that you will in a world where listening is not our high point, it is not our best skill, 
that you teach us to be listeners. Not just that we hear the words or we hear the sounds, but somehow we learn to value those things and mull them over in our mind and we churn on them, not just to meditate or try to go deeper with truth, but so that we will allow the Spirit of God to guide us into steps of faith and obedience, to keep in step with his steps so that we are a transformed people radiating the light of the treasure of the glory of Christ to lost men and women around us. Help us not to be stubborn and disobedient children, but those who kneel before your throne of grace and count it the greatest privilege of our life to trust you in such a way that we'll do whatever you ask, whenever you ask it, in whatever way you ask us to do it. And for this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.